You are tired of average. You want more out of life. You know you're capable of something greater. This show will help you become resilient in your home, at work, and in your community. Welcome to the Resilient Humans Podcast with your host, Kevin Wood. Welcome back to the Resilient Human Podcast. And we have a return guest today. This dude has done something remarkable. So this is like a follow-up episode to the first one. Uh, Adam Fats, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. Tell our listeners, so some people might be tuning in for the first time, um, give us a little rundown. What what did you just complete? Uh, nine days living in Africa on Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, I was the first person to summit Kilimanjaro with a missing lung and pulmonary fibrosis, almost 20,000 feet. So nine days on the side of a mountain. I'm sure the weather was absolutely perfect for you the entire time. No, it was treacherous. It was absolutely unbelievably terrible. Yeah, it was terrible. All right. So you're talking to us today. Obviously, it was a success. You did not die. Everything, well, most things went according to plan, uh, and, and you did reach the goal. Um, give our listeners a little idea of what was required for you in preparation for this trip. So not just the, I want to hear the physical stuff, but also the mental training that has to go into this as well. Yeah. Uh, so physical, I trained three times a week with a trainer in person. Uh, part of that was hypoxico, which for people who don't know what that is, that's when you wear a mask. Uh, you look like a fighter pilot. It's hooked up to a generator and it simulates altitude. So I was training up upwards of the max that they make is 21,971 feet. So I was wearing this device at, you know, almost 22,000 feet. But um, also part of that was I had a respiratory trainer out of, of by you, Jill. Um, who I worked with to increase my lung function because my lung function is kind of decreased because of the fibrosis. So that was the physical aspect. I also hiked probably anywhere between four to six miles a day, every single day. And I did this for about a year. Now, as far as the mental aspect of it, I kind of went into it intentionally, not knowing what to expect. Uh, if that makes sense. I mean, I knew what to expect as far as, you know, the altitude, things like that. But I didn't really, I wasn't prepared for the weather by any means. Um, so mentally, I just looked at it as every day when we would go from like camp one to camp two. Uh, mentally, the preparation was, my goal was to make it to 20,000 feet. You know, I never really looked at it as, all right, we're going to go from here to here, you know, because then that, that, that was putting... That was breaking up the monotony of it, but at the same time, it was kind of, it was, it was leading me to this point of, well, how much further can I go? Um, so mentally to prepare for it, I just went in not knowing what to expect. You know, I, I, I felt that not knowing was probably better than being thinking I was prepared and then finding out I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of yeah. goes against conventional wisdom. Like when yeah. I'm, when I'm yeah. training somebody for like a competition, I want them to know what it's going to look like, who's going to be around, where they stand, where the jet referees are sitting. Like I want them yeah. to know everything so that there are no surprises. But what you just yeah. said, 
there's always going to be surprises. So sometimes, and it all depends on the individual. Sometimes yep. they need to know everything ahead of time. Others, hey, let's just see how it goes. Let's roll with it. Yeah, I'm kind of a uh, fly by the, uh, the you know, the seat of your pants type guy. Uh, for the listeners who don't know, I was a Green Beret. Uh, so I was Army Special Forces here in America. Uh, we're unconventional dudes. So it's kind of it's kind of good to be, you know, for me, I knew what to expect, but also I didn't. I can tell you that I was very ill-prepared, if that makes sense. Well, yeah. So, like, listen, <laughs> this, this is not just like some random blow going up a, the side of a mountain on, on a whim. Like, you've had yeah. years of physical and mental training. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to see, see what I can do. That's definitely not it. Yeah. So, if that's, if that's what you're thinking out there. You might you might want to reconsider. So it de- definitely takes a lot more um, training and preparation to go into this. Can you tell us yeah. a little bit about your uh, journey getting there? I know there were a few hiccups along the way. Yeah, I ran to um, I ran into some gear uh, technicalities. I had bought some stuff. I lost so much weight um, since December of 2021. Now I think I've lost almost 200 pounds. So that was that was a huge problem because I ran into gear issues right before I was getting ready to leave. Nothing fit me. You know, they say you should never test your gear on the side of the mountain. I was that <laughs> I was I was not ready at all. Uh, nothing fit me. My rain gear was falling off. I I was wearing a female belt around my rain gear just to keep it up. Um, but then I ran into scheduling conflicts uh, with my guides. Um, I was supposed to go July, this past July. He ended up having emergency surgery, so we had to reschedule it to January. Um, now, January was concerning because that's that's their summertime, so that's their dry month. And a big part of that is it's the, it's very dry, heat, dusty. So that was concerning to me. Uh, it ended up not being that whatsoever by any means. Um, but then I also ran into hiccups where my gear – all my equipment, it didn't make it to Africa in time. Um, it got lost in Chicago because they didn't let me on the airplane. I was boarding from Newark, New Jersey to Chicago and then Chicago to Qatar. Um, I missed boarding, not at my fault, their own, the, the airline's fault. So then I had to take a train to Philadelphia, two trains and a bus. And then I paid a cop <laughs> to drive me to the airport. <laughs> um it was bad. I mean, it was really bad. But then I ran into health problems. You know, I had to have uh, bilateral and genial hernia repair. Uh, I had tumor. I had to have some tumors removed throughout the, the year of preparation. It was a lot. Um, I didn't think I was going to be ready to go. I it got to the point to where I, you know, then I caught COVID about a month before departure, which was that was real bad given my my lung condition. That's terrible, terrible for people with normal lungs. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, all right. You, you find, you get all your stuff. It's, it's, you're in Africa. You can see, you can obviously see the mountain because it's one of the most massive mountains on planet earth. So you can pretty yep. much see it from anywhere. Um, before you start your ascent, what's going through your mind? So I saw, so Kilimanjaro, uh, there's another mountain there. It's called Mount Meru, M-E-R-U. Now, Mount Meru is a little bit smaller than Kilimanjaro, but it's a lot more technical, meaning it's like ropes, ladders. Um, 
it doesn't draw a lot of people, but we actually saw Mount Maru coming into JRO, Kilimanjaro Airport. Before I saw Kilimanjaro, I saw Maru, and I remember I was sitting next to a, uh, a Tanzanian. It's, it's, it's actually pronounced Tanzania. Um, I was sitting next to a Tanzanian, and I was like, oh, there it is. He's like, no, it's Mount Maru. And I was filming it, and I was like, that's Maru? And he's like, yeah, Kilimanjaro's coming up. Uh, so my first glimpse of Kilimanjaro was actually from the airplane and it looked like we were going to hit it. And I realized it was Kilimanjaro because the whole thing was snow cap. And that's when I realized, wow, like Maru is about four, maybe three, 35, 4,000 feet shorter than Kilimanjaro. But when you're in an airplane and you're kind of eye level with it, all you see is it's above the clouds. So that was my first glimpse of Kilimanjaro. I got a really cool video I can send you. Um, and I kind of realized like reality kind of set in and I was like, all right, well, it's big, you know, but from the airplane, you're looking at it at a bird's eye view. It doesn't look that big. But then when we landed and we were going in, you know, we had a VIP meet and greet. So we got kind of went through like customs faster. Um, Kilimanjaro, the mountain itself is behind the terminal. And that's when you can see it, but you can only see half of it. You know, so it's like, it almost looks like a stack of like pancakes and then it like disappears and then it all of a sudden it appears again. So you wow. got the mountain, 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 clouds, and then you think that's it. And then the clouds might break a little bit and that's when you can see the summit. And that's when you realize like, what am I doing here? <laughs> <You know? laughs> that that was my first reality of uh, this is probably, th this is probably going to be a miserable week and a half. You know, that, that was, yeah, yeah. It was kind of like they call it shell shock. It was yeah. like shell shock. I was like, man, this is going to be terrible. I remember when I went to um, out west in Canada to Banff and I'd never seen like real mountains before. And I was yeah. awestruck at those. This yep. is not even it's not even close to the same uh, for out there. I'm sure. Yeah, there, there's there's it's just the seeing it in person. There's no way to actually describe it in words. Because you're just, you're, you're in shock. You're just like, I can't believe I'm going to climb up this thing. You know, it's just, it's so unrealistic because you just can't see all of it because it's in the clouds. So it messes with your head a bit. Yeah. <laughs> so you land, you land from the airplane. How long, how long were you there before you started that ascent? So we had, um, the way that my trip was set up, we stayed at a lodge in a, it's a town called Arusha. Um, it's about an hour and a half trip to a route, the lodge in Arusha where we were. And it's really nice place. It's on like a couple hundred acre coffee plantation. So you got like wildlife, you know, um, I was there for two days. So I landed on the third of January and then we started our trip on the fifth of January. It's about a three hour drive from the lodge to the, uh, the Moshi, not the, um, I'm drawing a blank base camp more or less. Okay. Um, so it's three hours, but you, you know, you get picked up by your guides, um, the local Tanzanians, your porters, everybody's there. Um, so I had about two days before we started to kind of acclimate. Yep. What's the, where you were staying? Um, what was the elevation there? I, I want, it's under 5,000 feet. Okay. But it's different than New Jersey. Yeah. Drastically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, 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 yeah. Drastically. like when we, we, would, um, there's a, myself, and another person from here, we did uh CrossFit regionals out in, um, it was in Okotoks 
And one of the, okay. one of the, one of the competitions was a 5k run. And that's how I won my position to get into the regionals was I won the race event, but out here we're like 20 meters above sea level. And then out yeah. there it was closer to like 5,000. And I, okay. I had to lay down. I laid down on the sidewalk really? in the middle of the competition because I couldn't breathe. Because the altitude, yeah, and you yeah, could yeah. see the difference. Those that were from out west took the top twenty percent, and those that were from the east coast took the top, uh, the bottom twenty percent. So, yeah. like, and I thought, hey man, I'm a fit guy. I've been doing CrossFit for years, and it hit me like a freight train. So, you know, going up <laughs> twenty twenty two thousand feet, that's uh, that's much different. Um, my wife and I also went out to, uh, Switzerland and we climbed the Jungfrau massive mountain Okay. and all of these old, like 70 and 80 year old people were just passing by us. And we're like, yep. how many more steps until we can take a break? So yeah. Altitude does some weird things too. It but doesn't you, just, it doesn't just wind you. It, no, no, it no. Does, yeah. It affects everything. And so oh, yeah. did you find that your your training leading up to that, that altitude training helped you in that sense, or did that still being in the real deal? Is it different than being hooked up to your, your uh, flight simulator mask? Yes and no. Um, I had absolutely. So we had a team, not including the locals. Um, I think it was 11 people. Uh, let's say let's call it 11 Americans. So we had 11 Americans, every single person on that team, at some point they weren't able to carry their own rucksack or their backpack or day pack, whatever you want to call it. So I was the only one for the entire nine days who never had to drop weight and have somebody else carry it. And I was also the only person on the team who never got sick. Uh, we ran into, we don't know if it was some, some sort of food poisoning on the trip or I personally think it was altitude because they started getting sick around camp three, which was around 15,000 feet. Um, I was never sick. I had, I mean, I was barely out of breath going up the summit. Um, I started to get very, very sick on the way down, though. I mean, I mean, real sick. I was, my bowels were not happy with me. Um, I was vomiting all over myself. That part was where I got, yeah, I got in trouble there. But going up the mountain, I was probably the only one who was prepared physically, for sure. So, yeah, the training, absolutely absolutely helped 100 awesome. how many camps are there along the way up so we stayed at so camp one is we called it the jungle camp camp one is the worst because that's where all the monkeys are because you're in the middle of the jungle so you wake up you got the monkeys that they're like howlers um and then they're black and white calicles they scream all night long so that's tough and then they steal your stuff um so then you go from there and then you got camp two uh, camp two is the only day that we actually saw the mountain because of the weather. That's how bad it was. And then camp three and then camp four is your last camp before summit night. So there's four camps along the way. So when you say you're, you're nine days, how many days is that going up and how many days is that coming back down? Uh, so seven days, seven days going up so camp three is a little tricky because you actually go up in elevation but then back down to the camp you drop about two thousand feet um and part of that is to acclimate you a little bit so you go up gotcha. to like 15 5 and then you drop down to like 13 or 12 5 and then you stay there um camp three 
Yeah, no, that's camp three. So camp four is probably where everybody starts to really, this is where we had a lot of people drop out. Um, because camp four, you leave at about 6 a.m. from camp three, and it takes about six hours to get to the to camp four. So you get there around lunchtime. But this is when it starts to get tough, though, because you only have a couple hours to rest until summit starts. You know, so you get to, you get to camp around lunchtime, you know, one o'clock maybe in the afternoon, 1300. And then you're back up at 10 p.m. So you have to have dinner. You have to have lunch in between then. And then summit starts at midnight from camp four. And then from camp four, it's about a 19 to 22 hour day. I mean, you're just going. You don't have you have no choice. You have to just keep going. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yep. And then how, how long to get back down? Getting down is terrible. Um, I feel like that would be worse. A doubt that it was very unexpected, and there was no way. I think about it to this day now, how I could have trained for that, and there was no way to train for that. Yeah. Um, getting down, it took two eight- to ten-hour days. So you get up to the summit, you get there, you know, or you don't realize on summit night, this is when the emotions kind of kick in because you don't realize that when the sun's coming up, you're already above the clouds. And it's really cool about it because you turn around and you're like, how much further are we? Cause you can't see anything going up some at night. Cause you're, you leave at midnight. So all you see up ahead of you is dots and you think they're stars, but they're actually headlamps. Um, and that's when it really kicks in like what you're doing because you can't actually decipher like the Milky Way galaxy, which is clear as day there. You can't tell the Milky Way from this, from the headlamps of the, like, you know, the, the people who have went before you because how steep it is and how high up they are. You, you like, it messes with your mind. So you're just going and all you see is feet in front of you. You know, they call it pole, pole for slow, slow. Um, so it's just all you hear is poly 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 poly. And you know, the locals will sing and they'll have fun. And it's 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 not miserable going up, but it really messes with your head because you can't see anything ahead of you. Um, so you get up to you get to camp or you get to the summit. There's three summits. We call it the crater rim. You get to the top of the mountain. Um, I think we got there about 8 a.m. and we left at midnight. So it took eight hours of just straight walking up a hill. Um I don't want to say a hill. It's like it's the steepest thing I've ever climbed in my life. But <laughs> from there, I spent about an hour and a half up at the summit of Uhuru Peak, which is the tallest point on, you know, the tallest freestanding point mountain on the world. Um, and then I started to feel kind of crappy and I checked my pulse ox and my oxygen was below 70. So that was when I kind of dropped down. You know, I could have stayed, but I was like, ah, let's be safe. You know, I don't want to I don't want to get put on oxygen while i'm here so that's when i started to descent and then it took me about nine hours from that point to get to the next camp and then you have the same thing the next day you spend one night at the camp and then you have another eight to nine hours to exit the national park so, so it's go ahead i was gonna say coming down it's brutal i mean it's brutal it's the it's it's terrible yeah i know when i've done spartan races on the side of like ski hills the down is the absolute worst it just burns oh yeah everything and especially if you're yeah, wearing I, wearing I, a pack yeah i couldn't even walk when i got when i got to the camp after the first camp after we started the descent 
uh, I couldn't walk because muscles above my knees on like my my mid thighs were just pure jello. And I've never, I don't think I've ever experienced that. There's no way to train for that. But there's nothing there you can do. There's no, no way off. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Um. So you kind of let it or mentioned a, a little bit of it, but what was the weather like um, during your journey up? So the weather expectation, uh, it was going to be hot and dry. Now, there were some speculations. We're in like an El Nino, El Nino. There was all kinds of talk. Um, we didn't have a single dry day except for the first day. I do. I'm telling you, when I was bored, I mean, I was bored because you couldn't see absolutely anything. There was nothing to look at. The weather was so bad that there wasn't a single dry person after, I'm going to say, the third day on the mountain. You know, we, we are, everybody's rain gear. I mean, we're talking about like our Tarek's, you know, $1,700 rain jackets. They failed within the third day. Um, nobody's boots were dry. This was our guide, August, our Tanzanian guide, August. This was his 511th with us. And he said he's never seen weather so poor. And this was the hardest trip he's ever led. So, <laughs> That's kind of cool in my mind because it's like, all right, well, I did something that's going to suck, but then it sucked even more by accident, you know? Right. But it it never got above, I would say, five degrees Fahrenheit at nighttime and 35 to 40 during the day. It was just relentless. It, it I was joking that, you know, in Forrest Gump, when they get into Vietnam and he's like, and it rained sideways and that's what it was like. It didn't <laughs> yeah, stop yeah. raining. I mean, it was absolutely terrible. We had to sleep naked so that we our flesh didn't rot because of how wet we had been. Yeah, oh, it was terrible. Sounds like an experience. Tell me a it bit about. <laughs> tell me a bit more about the the sleeping. What was the sleeping situation like, other than being naked? So I was lucky because so Jim and Christy uh, of Endeavor, who I went on the trip with, they had just bought these new tents from some company out in Colorado Springs somewhere. Uh, they were six foot tall tents, but they had like a little, like almost like a deck. Like it was like this dry flat area with like a big opening. So you got to put your wet stuff out there. I was alone in my tent, thankfully, uh, not including Jim. It was just me and one other guy. I mean, we were severely outnumbered, <laughs> you know, with the, with the men to uh, female ratios, but so sleeping for me, it was all right. It was kind of tough because there's really no way to set up a, a tent flat there. Right. So you're sliding all night long. You know, I I had brought an inflatable like sleeping pad. I didn't use it. I just didn't like it. I didn't see the need for it. Uh, but we had two inch, you know, two inch like twin size sleeping pad. So that's what you slept on. Uh, my sleeping bag, you know, you're you're just in the sleeping bag and you're tucking your wet clothes down by your feet, you know, to try to help dry it a little bit overnight. Uh, but as far as sleeping, the first night was absolutely terrible on the mountain because we had to we were at the jungle camp so we had the mountain the monkeys screaming and now they sound like police cars like woo, 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 <laughs> all night long <laughs> and there's like 50 of them surrounding your camp uh so that's your first night you have no idea what's happening you know you had really kind of just started advent the expedition with your team so like the nerves are a little i guess a little uncomfortable still you know, this is like when the, the, you're getting down to the nitty gritty of like you're going to the bathroom in the woods in front of these people and stuff like that. So it's like a little weird, I think, for some people. 
Uh, the first night was terrible. The second night wasn't so bad, but the second night at Camp 2 was when it started to get really cold. Um, but we had gone maybe like 10, 10 hours continuous that day. So you're so tired that all you want to do is eat. You know, you do like your local dancing and you have some fun with the Tanzania team. Um, you just want to sleep. You're so tired. You know, I think for me, the jet lag was starting to kick in. I slept great for the most part. Um, as you get higher, though, you start to sleep worse. You start to have like really vivid dreams that are like very strange. You know, they're like altitude induced nightmares almost. So was that true for the like other? Was that true for the other people yeah. on your team as well? Yeah, they said the same thing. Yeah, yeah, they they had it a little bit harder than I did, and I think this is where the training helped. Um, a lot of them they they couldn't sleep. Like our photographer, I don't think that poor guy Chandler. I don't think he more than like three hours a night the whole trip. <laughs> he was not having a good time. <laughs> but uh, sleeping was okay. I had no problem sleeping. A lot of the team, it's very noisy because all you hear at night. It's re, 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 the zippers on the tent. It just wakes right. you up all night long. Yeah. And then, you know, the Tanzanian, the Tanzanians, they wake up around 4 a.m. To start uh, packing and they up just start everything. Back. Yeah. Yeah. And they're banging pots and singing. And it's like, you're pretty much screwed by like 4 a.m. But I mean, I was in bed probably by, I think the latest, I think the least I went to bed on the mountain was 7.30 p.m. Oh, man. Yeah. I should go. I should hike the mountain just so I can get some sleep. <laughs> yeah, a lot, you know it's funny because all all the all the females with kids and stuff they're like I I'm buying a sleeping bag when I get home because yeah. <laughs> I haven't slept so good and I'm like it's not the sleeping bag it's the fact that you have nothing going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was the uh, eating and drinking like now when you're climbing that many feet in elevation per day? It's it's obvious that you're burning way more calories than you would just walking in a straight line. Yeah, so I lost um, 11 pounds on the mountain. Um, I would have thought it would be more. But if you're eating, no, if, you're repl- if you're replacing it, then that's that's pretty good. Yeah, I ate probably more there than I do at home. And that's the God's honest truth. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, yeah, Jim and Christy had it set up. I mean, we had a private chef. Uh, now, you th- you know, you hear, I don't want people to confuse and think like, oh my God, this dude had like this luxury trip. It's not like that. I mean, you're eating in like an army style tent with people who are sick around you, coughing on you. And, you know, so every morning it started off, um, Joni, my man, Joni, he was our porters. Uh, he would bring me tea every morning. For some reason, they just really liked me. You know, they called me Simba, uh, or they, they all this different stuff. Uh, I got along great with those guys. So they kind of treated me a little bit better than some of the other people. Um, so I would get tea every morning brought to my tent. That was just the first day. And then I kind of like, I didn't really want that. Cause I, I kind of felt weird about it. Like, you know, I don't want to be treated like, uh, like better than like these guys, you know what I mean? Like, uh, but so every morning we had like, they would make pancakes or like their version of pancakes. I don't really know what they're called. Egg, toast, tea, uh, lunch and dinner. Every meal started with soup. Uh, vegetables, fruit, and I honestly, I don't know how they managed to get all this food around. Because, like, you'll see the porters, they carry everything on their heads. Uh, and, but I don't I don't know, man. I don't know, but the food was awesome. I can't take that away. Yeah, the That's food cool. was unbelievable. Yeah. And <laughs> that are was you, my biggest concern. 
in your pack, are you carrying your own water and like drinking along the way? Yeah, so I carry four liters of water. Uh, my pack weighed anywhere between twenty five to like thirty pounds on the trip. You're exactly. you're not supposed to go over six kilos. Um, I couldn't do that. I just couldn't do it. My medications alone were probably five pounds. Right. Um, you know, and then I'm I'm just you know I'm almost six four and I'm two hundred and fifty five pounds. I'm a big dude. So like my my equipment that I need just for like rain equipment is is naturally heavier than everybody else's. You know, I'm not a little petite like five five, you know, hundred and twenty five pound, you know, girl. You know, and uh so that was yeah, but yeah, you're carrying everything. I mean, and then you got like snacks. I just brought a whole box of uh cliff bars with me. I didn't eat a single one of them. Oh yeah, <laughs> but, no way. But they were there. Whenever yeah, we do they, I mean they were there. Whenever we do long endurance events, we always bring Uncrustables. Just peanut butter yeah, and jam and a sandwich. Man, they're so good because they come in frozen. By the time you get the event's <laughs> yeah. over, they're like thawed out and they're good to go. So, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're good. Do you know how many um, linear feet that you travel for that whole that whole trip? Yes. So we traveled 85 miles in nine days. Um, and we went up in elevation... Uh, 15,000 plus feet. That's up there. I've done 85 yeah. miles in two days. There were no hills. And that was hard. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, the, it, it was tough though, Kevin, because it's like, I was very, it was, it's very boring. And I remember yeah. reading something about somebody who said that like Kilimanjaro is very boring because it's very slow moving. And I'm a very fast kind of like, I want to go, mm. go, go. You know, and then, so you got that, and you're just in this row, um, and it's just pole, 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 you know, slow, slow. And there's a reason for it, and it teaches you a lot, I'll be honest with you. It really does teach you patience, um, which was good, but it's boring. There's nothing to look at with the weather because of how bad it was. I We couldn't see, if you hand down in front of your face, like full-length arm, you could barely see your hands because of how bad the weather was. So you, we missed all of like the scenery, you know, we didn't really get to see like, you you could see uh, Kenya from certain points. Couldn't see Kenya. I mean, we couldn't see anything. It was terrible. Mm. <laughs> so it was Tell me about your feet. How did your feet hold up? I know when, when they're wet, uh, it sucks. So what did they look like uh, after you were finished? You get the trench so foot? I... I did not, thankfully. Nobody did actually. Uh, Jim, my Jim, my guy, the, the expedition company owner. He he's an ex army ranger. So between him and I, we kind of know like how to take care of our feet. So what I would do every night is I would actually take a pair of dry socks that I had in reserve, ball them up, and stick them in my boots every night. Um, Perfect. So, yeah, so that so that would help. But then I also wore I also wore sock liners under smart wool socks. Uh, my feet were fine. Everybody's feet were pretty much fine until we started coming down. Right. And then that was, that was, that was the end of it. Forget it. I, well, it's I just don't your, care what you put on your, your toes are mashing into the front of your shoes or your boots, right? Like there's, you can't prevent that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I ended up taping my toe, all, every one of my toenails, I taped them individually, like a three point harness, like around then over. Yeah. Uh, I still lost four toenails. Um, oh yeah, I got blisters so bad on the first day that I actually bled through the bottom of the boots. So that was that was terrible because I had a whole nother day after that. Yep. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. Cool. Um, looking back now that you've, you've done this all, is there anything that you would have changed? Mm-hmm. No, no, honestly, nope. There was there was some mix. I had some mixed opinions about going into it because I had never met the people I was going to be on the mountain with. They're all from Florida or Colorado, so I never got to meet them. So I had some mixed emotions going into it, like what to expect with them. Um, but then once I got out there, you know, and and met everybody and saw how well it was put together, I wouldn't change a thing. In fact, I'm actually considering doing it again next year. That's how well, much I enjoy with it. better weather. Hopefully I got I'm I'm I picked up a sponsorship um to do the rest of the seven summits like Mount Everest, uh Antarctica. So I'm kind of working on that. So that's why like right now I'm out in Colorado because I'm taking the seven summits prep course. Nice. Um and really I'm gonna go to Antarctica and do Mount Vincent before the end of the year. But I wanna do Kill I wanna do Killy again. I feel like I kind of missed out a little bit. You know. I like I, I feel like I missed the whole I didn't get to see Kilimanjaro National Park at all because of the weather. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's kind of the point, right? You want to see it. We've done um, yeah. um Mount Katahdin here in Maine. And one time we went up, we saw nothing. There was not you couldn't see yeah. anything. Like the rain coming in sideways. No, no. We're crawling on our hands and knees across the knife edge. We're like, this is bonkers. And then the next time yeah. we did it, you could see literally the state of Maine. I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. I'm so glad we came yeah, back see, to do it yeah. again. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Um, last question I have here for you, any lessons that you learned that you could share with anybody that's looking to go on a, a big adventure, we'll call it. Yeah. So I didn't know this going into kill going into Kilimanjaro. So the seven summits, uh, for people who don't know what the seven summits are, it's the tallest mountain on each continent, with you know, obviously the most famous being Mount Everest. Mount Kilimanjaro is said to be the hardest and the most failed of the seven summits. Now, with that, you don't need to have any technical skills. I mean, you don't need to be certified in like crevasse rescues, uh, snow or Arctic conditions. You can go and do it. And I seriously recommend anybody who has ever had like an inkling of maybe I want to do this. They strongly consider it Um, because it truly is a life changing experience. And, you know, I never expected to like be emotional going up the mountain. But like, again, you don't realize that you're above the clouds. And when you turn and I mean, you're a thousand feet above the clouds. There's nothing above you. It's it's a very humbling experience. But mm. You'll also learn a lot. Um, I think there's a big, a lot of people misunderstand like the South African region of the of the continent. You know, they think of these people or like they're poor or like they're slum lords, and it's not this condition whatsoever. I mean, it is unbelievably humbling to see what a porter how they can carry your all your equipment, your tent, everything on their head, and <laughs> run past you up the mountain. You know, it's it's unbelievable. Um, you can call them porters or sherpas, but also the fun that like the fun that I had on the mountain wasn't expected. You know, the the singing and the dancing, and you know, everybody jokes about like Hakuna Matata, but that's a real thing. That that is an actual. That's a real. That's part of their normal vocabulary over there. 
I, I think anybody who, who really wants to do it should do it. Honestly, I would do it all over again just because it was so impactful. You know, because my experiences overseas, I've been with the military. So, I mean, we're dealing with, you know, not good people. <laughs> um, it's definitely worth it. Absolutely, definitely worth it. For sure. 100%. Cool. It's, yeah. It, I've, I had another person that I know. Um, I've only met her once, so more of an acquaintance, but she, she did the trek as well. And I saw some of her yeah. videos and I was shocked with the amount of singing and dancing that was happening. And it was like yep. before, like they'd have breakfast, everything was packed up. They do this like song and dance, and then they'd start start the ascent again. I was like, yeah. what a cool way. Like it just it puts you in a, a completely different mindset. When you're singing and dancing, you can't think about all oh, my feet hurt or my back hurts or like not all that disappears. And yes. they they do that on purpose. There's yep. there's intent behind it. It's not just yep. because they feel like it, there's there's a reason for it. So I was really yep. I was blown away by that aspect of it. Yeah. 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 It's amazing. It really is. It's a very humbling experience, you know, and it doesn't have to suck. The trip doesn't have to suck, you know? Right. It, it, it's yeah. what you, what I mean, you, what your mindset is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Cool. Adam, man, this exactly. has been awesome to catch up with you and, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. see you back. Uh, cause right. Yeah. Like, it was a lot of unknown first person with uh pf to, to get this done so you know yep. you didn't know what the outcome was would be and i know that your your trainers and doctors same thing um so welcome back congratulations yeah um Thank yeah you. and and best of luck with your seven summit challenge that's yeah do you know how many people have done done the seven summits ever i don't know exactly um uh, i can tell you the statistics were killed on the jaro just seven summits. I'm not sure. I know thirty thousand people tried Kilimanjaro in 2023. Okay. Um, and less than five thousand made it to Uhuru wow. Peak. So interesting. It's, it's, it's not a high number. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what's what's the common factor with those that complete it. So is it actually, is it the preparation? I'm, is it the mindset? A combination? Like obviously, there's there's a lot to it, but there's got to be a common factor. I think it's a, it's meant it's mental because you can't see where you're going. Um, it's a lot longer than people realize, and it it it's such drastically changing landscape. I mean, you're you're going through five ecosystems. You know, arctic mm. conditions, jungle. Alpine desert. It's like everyone, what's an alpine desert? It's like exactly what it sounds like, <laughs> you know? So it's a lot. Uh, I mean, I know a guy who just, who lives right by me. I'm meeting up with him this week. He's, he's climbed Mount Everest uh, three times and he's failed Kilimanjaro twice. He can't do it. Just can't do it. Wow. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm interested in that myself. Uh, I, I don't know what it is. There you got the hard one done. Now you now it's on the easy stuff. <laughs> yeah now i just gotta save money <laughs> yeah. yeah that's it so cool. cool man it was awesome chatting with you best of luck and uh i'm sure we'll see you on the other side thanks for listening if you enjoyed this episode please share it with others or leave a rating and review to catch all the latest episodes be sure to subscribe and i'll see you next time